0: Good morning again. For those of you that have joined us late, welcome online. and uh, I'm Pastor Todd. I keep being told I need to introduce myself. I I must confess that I do feel a little awkward doing that. Um, But at any rate, I just want to reiterate, um, first of all, what uh, Pastor Derek just said. Um, I want us to um, uh, just... Uh, talk a little bit about the AMM for a minute. Uh, the annual members meeting. Uh, If you are a member at Glad Tidings Church, then we really need you to be here tonight. Uh, We need to have a quorum, of course, and uh, we also want to conduct the business of the church, so we're gonna be talking about last year, uh, 2019. Uh, Usually we hold our annual business meeting in uh, April, uh, usually the last Sunday in April, but of course with uh, COVID-19 and all that's gone on, uh, we were not able to do that, and we wanted to wait until we actually could be in a room um and uh, a matter of fact uh the other thing you need to know is that uh, the amm meeting will not be live streamed our bylaws does not permit that at the current moment we may have to change that in the future so if you're not in the room uh you won't be a part of that so members um you are expected tonight at six o'clock And those of you who are not, we welcome you. You are welcome to join us. And for those of uh, you that are new members and new to Glad Tidings Church, our annual business meeting is where we conduct and report on the business of the church. And so why don't you come and learn uh, about what that's about? But until then, that's tonight at 6 o'clock, let's stand together, and we're looking at the fourth installment of the seven churches of Revelation, and uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, and I'm going to read it for you, and this is what it says. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works and love and faith and service and patience and endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. And is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation." Unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, this is the good news, by the way, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan to you I say, and I do not lay on you any other burden, only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers, who keeps my words until the end, to him and her I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my father. And I will give him the morning star. He and she who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's quite a text, is it not? A little intimidating and a little challenging. Let's stop and let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love that you have demonstrated in Jesus Christ with such generosity, with such glorious extravagance, and for the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit that takes all that you've done in Jesus and makes it possible, applicable, available in our lives. And even this morning during the worship, we were consciously aware that, Father, you are in our midst in Jesus Christ by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray with the book of Revelation that you would give us an ear to hear this morning, spiritual ears. You would give us eyes to see, spiritual eyes, hearts to understand, minds to comprehend, but don't let it stop there, Lord. We ask that that same Holy Spirit would help us when we leave this room, when we turn off our devices, that you would help us to live out in meaningful, tangible ways what it means to be the followers of Jesus Christ. So help us, we pray. And we give you thanks and we give you praise in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Why don't you be seated? What is in a name? What do we think of when we hear certain names. This week, I was going around the church and actually asking anybody. I ran into um, the first name that came to them when they thought of a great person, an influential person, the greatest person they knew. Well, Pastor Scott said, Abraham Lincoln. What do you think? What comes in your mind when you think of these names? John A. McDonald. A little controversial these days. Queen Elizabeth, that was Pastor Kevin. John F. Kennedy. Adolf Hitler. Saddam Hussein. Michelangelo. Johann Sebastian Bach. Albert Einstein. Elvis Presley. You ain't, not, never mind. Justin Bieber. Wayne Gretzky. And we, of course, have to mention Sid the Kid, Sidney Crosby. <laughs> Winston Churchill. Billy Graham. Bill Gates. Mother Teresa. Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I asked Pastor Sherry, Karen McLaughlin, and Shirley Hancock the question. They gave me Donald Trump. I asked Pastor Derek. Pastor is my favorite. I walked into the kitchen. I said, hey, tell me the name of the greatest person you know off the top of your head. He said, Chuck Norris. Hilarious, isn't it? What about this? Judas. And of course... Jezebel. Jezebel. A particular name is synonymous with a certain specific behaviors. They create images and conjure up pictures of what epitomize certain events and things and happen, happenings. What about this one? In our text, Jesus is described as the Son of God who has eyes like flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Now, Jesus the Son of God, now that's a name, that's a title. By the way, when I asked Leanne, she said, Jesus Christ. How spiritual is that, huh? Of course you're gonna applaud. But the name and the title, the Son of God, tells us something about what is going on in Thyatira. Now what's interesting is that the longest of the seven letters that is written to the churches is written to the most unimportant of the seven cities. Thyatira is not really a city. What made Thyatira popular is that it was on the way to the great and glorious city of Pergamum. The reason that Thyatira was actually built was as a early warning system for the capital city that when enemy armies attacked They would send dispatches from Thyatira to Pergamum so the leaders there could protect the city and prepare for battle. And Thyatira received the brunt of the attacks. It was literally smashed and broken in pieces. Now keep that in mind with our text in verse 27 where it says, and he will rule them with a rod of iron and when, as, when earthen pots are broken in pieces. And also with this. Thyatira was known for its trades. Thyatira was, had what was the ancient version of what we today would call an extensive labor union network network called the guilds, the trade guilds. They were in tanning and in bronze work and in leather work. Thyatira was what we would call today a blue-collar town. It had a significant textile industry in wools and linens and cloths and it was popular for its dye trade. Matter of fact, in Acts chapter 16 verse 14, we meet a woman by the name of Lydia who was from the city of Thyatira and she worked with in purple cloth and she was a believer in God. She worshiped the Lord. But there was another trade that was very significant in the city of Thyatira, and that was pottery. Pottery. Now, I want us to couple that together with this. Apollo, the Greek god of light, the sun god, was the celebrated deity in Thyatira. So pottery is the major trade It required the sun's heat in order to firm up the pottery so they could sell it in the marketplace. Bad weather meant slow business, so it was very important that the potters and those in the pottery business keep Apollo very happy. But there's also this. Apollo's eyes were represented as flames of fire And Apollo's feet were thought to be bronze. Now, we probably have already made the connection. Because you're a very astute crowd. But if you haven't, follow me. An early warning system for the capital city, that's what Thyatira is. Taking the brunt of the attacks of the enemy, being broken into pieces... Pottery being the major trade, Apollo, the Greek god of sun, being essential to the pottery business, with eyes of flames of fire and feet like bronze, helps make uh, make sense of our text and a play on words, and to the angel. Of the church of Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, whose feet are like burnished bronze, verse 27, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots or clay pots or pottery are broken into pieces. The Thyatirian Christians got the point. This was no idle threat This is the only church of the seven churches where Jesus is referred to as the Son of God. And further, this is the only place in the entire book of Revelation where we have the title or the name Son of God. The only place. It's about who God is. Who is God to them then and us now? It's about kingship, it's about lordship, it's about devotion, it's about who they and who we are today going to follow. It's about drawing a line in the sand. And for those of you who are familiar with the biblical text, It's the same as the line that was drawn in Numbers chapter 16 between Moses and the sons of Korah. It is the same line in 1 Kings chapter 18 that is drawn by Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And Elijah has this famous statement in chapter 18 verse 21 where he asked the question to the people of Israel, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or if Apollo is God, then follow him. Now, when we look into our text, on the one hand, Jesus has some words of praise for the saints at Thyatira. He says in verse 19, I know your works, your love, your faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. On the other hand, that's good and bad. When we compare Thyatira and Ephesus, we get this. Ephesus was a doctrinal church. They knew what they believed, but their doctrine made them cold, uncaring, and callous. They knew how to talk the talk, but talk is cheap. Thyatira, on the other hand, walked the walk. They cared for and they loved people. They were sympathetic to everyone to a fault. They opened their arms and accepted everyone and anyone without discrimination or without discernment. And because of that, They were being led astray by false teachers and false leaders and false preachers. They were tolerating them and were not dealing with these false leaders and teachers and preachers. Enter that woman Jezebel. What is in a name? Now ancient Jezebel, ancient Jezebel, Her story is in 1 Kings 19 to 21. She is the infamous daughter of Ethbal, the king of Sidon. She is married to King Ahab of Israel, but the marriage is only an ends to a mean. It's a political marriage. And by her pervasive powers and influence, she led her husband, her spouse, and the people of Israel astray. Now, what's in the name? Well, the name Jezebel immediately calls to mind multiple associations. Even those of us who are not familiar with the biblical story and the biblical text have heard the name Jezebel. I don't know any parent of recent times that have actually named their daughter Jezebel, there might be a reason. The name Jezebel has become synonymous for evil, sin, control, manipulation, fear, intimidation, deception, whip, witchcraft, the sensational, perversion, idolatry, and rebellion. Jezebel means husband to Baal, or Baal, whichever way you want to pronounce that. <clears throat> Excuse me, Chuck Swindle, in an article called Wild Women and Passive Men says that the last part of her name, Zebel or Zebel in Hebrew, literally means refuse or dung. There are other words I could use there, but we'll just let that lie. But we get the point and then he writes this as a great line he says she is powerful she is pretty but she stinks this is the historical jezebel the jezebel of our text most likely was not literally named jezebel if she was god have mercy on her parents But most likely, she was not named Jezebel. Literally, it is a name that is symbolic. It is figurative. It is metaphorical. And the phrase, that woman Jezebel, can also be translated that Jezebel of a woman, which is actually more accurate. But there's also this. So put your seatbelt on now. In our text... Her role, the role, is cast in the female gender. And Jesus speaks of that woman Jezebel. Obviously, he's talking about a specific female in the church of Thyatira. But, but... It is also very possible and probable in another church in another situation that Jezebel may not be a woman, she could easily be a male. So let's not get sidetracked here by gender. Jezebel in any church can be either male or female. The point is not gender. But who is this Jezebel in Thyatira? Well, she is a prophetess, or more accurately, according to our text, she calls herself a prophetess. Now, this alone should cause red flags to go up in the back of our minds. What this is not... What this is not is Ephesians chapter four. Ephesians chapter four 11 says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. What that means is that there are prophets and there are prophetesses in the church today. We call them offices. I don't think they're offices. I think they're callings. And even here, (coughs) excuse me, even here at Glad Tidings Church, it is very possible and highly likely that there are those that function in the calling and the role of prophet or prophetess. A prophetic gifting is something that we can, if we have it, humbly see in ourselves. But it is seen many times in us by other people. And other people confirm that we sort of operate or are susceptible to operating in the gift of being a prophet or a prophetess. And our actions personally and our words and our disposition bring credit to it. Paul says to Timothy in 4.14, he says, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you or given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So that's what this is not. But this is what this is is. It's about false teachers. It's about false leaders. It's about false preachers who claim that they are prophets slash prophetesses, but are not. And to all of us, we need to be wary of those who declare themselves prophets and prophetesses because they're probably not. Jezebel is a backroom jockey. A backroom jockey. She or he deals behind the scenes. They seldom show their true hand. Their agenda is always hidden. It's emotional, spiritual, sensational in approach it is all in it all there is a subtle undermining of authority it's done by baiting by throwing out leading questions and comments morsels of information to see who's going to take hold of it to see which party parties in the church which people in the church line up where And what they say and what they do, prophetess and prophets who are false, is never direct. It's always indirect. By innuendo, by inference, by asking leading questions, by making comments that cause and cast doubt. The ancient Jezebel, the one in 1 Kings 19, and the one here in Revelation, has been dead for thousands of years, but her personality, character, disposition, and nature, we may even use the word her spirit, is very much alive. Jezebel has charm and disarm. Now, our text doesn't call it that. Our text says that she is seductive. That our mode of operation is seduction. And we read in Proverbs chapter 30 verses 18 to 20 these words. Three things are too wonderful for me. Four, I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky. The way of a serpent on a rock. The way of a ship on a high sea. And the way of a man with a woman or a man with a virgin. What they all have in common is this. They are all trackless. They leave no trace, no scent, no trail. They've been there, but there's no evidence, there's no proof. There's no tracks that they have been there. And Proverbs verse 20 says, This is the way of the adulteress, the false prophet, the false prophetess. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. Proverbs 7.21 says, With much seductive speech, she persuades him. And with her smooth talk, she compels him. And our text says it similarly. Who is teaching and seducing my people, my servants, to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols? The challenge is... And because it's all done with charm and disarm, seductively, craftly craftily and cleverly, it's hard to detect. It's hard to detect. It is seldom obvious because they have enough truth to be believed, but not enough truth to create any transformation or to set people free. Just enough truth to be believed and be deceived. So how do we di- differentiate between the true prophets and prophetess of e- Ephesians chapter 4.11 and those who are false, like in our text? Of course, Jesus' advice is always the best. And Jesus says this, he says, beware of false prophets and prophetess, my inclusion, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous or ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And what Jesus basically tells us is this, that we are to be fruit inspectors. Fruit inspectors. Jesus also said this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. He says, False Christs and false prophets and prophetesses will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. But I think the message gives us the best translation. And it says this. Fake messiahs and lying preachers are going to pop up everywhere. Their impressive credentials and their dazzling performances will pull the wool over the eyes of those who ought to know better. So watch out. I've given you fair warning. And of course, we can't not include 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where he writes, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets, and I'll add prophetess, are gone out into the world. This is John. Now, what we see in our text is this. Jesus does not mess around when it comes to people like Jezebel. He is clear, he is direct, and he is firm. And he says this. He says, behold, I will throw her on a sickbed. Follow me now. Behold, I will throw her on a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. It's a troubling statement in the Bible because what it actually says is this, that there is sickness and trouble and even death that comes to people as a result of the judgment of Jesus now i tell you what's even more troubling is the text that we often read during communion where it says that is why many among you are weak and ill And some of you have fallen asleep because we have taken and took in the Lord's broken body and his shed blood and defiled it. Now, you okay? Here's the good news. The good news in our text is for the rest of you in Thyatira and for the rest of us at Glad Tidings Church. And Jesus says first to us that we are to hold fast. It literally means to cling to, to hold on, to stay the course, and hold to the truth. There's a great line in Jeremiah, a phenomenal line in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, and it says this, Stand by the roads and look. And ask for the ancient paths where the good way is. And walk in it. And find rest for your souls. Isn't that a great line? Now the final part of our text is a variation of Psalm 2 and Matthew 28. In Psalm 2 we read these words ask of me and I will give you the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel this is talking about Jesus Christ this is a messianic psalm and then Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28 verse 18 All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what the latter part of our text simply says is this, that if you and I hold fast, if we hold fast, if we cling to what is true, then we will participate, the hope of the future is that you and I will participate in everything that God has promised in Jesus Christ. Everything. Everything. Listen to what he says. To the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him or her, I will give authority over the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are shattered or broken in pieces, even as I myself as received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's pretty good, right? So some questions for the rest of us here at Glad Tidings Church. I want you to stand. And I got four questions that I want you to think about with me about yourself. Nobody else, not your spouse, not your boyfriend, your girlfriend, not your sibling, not your brother or sister in Christ, not your brother and sister biologically. Nobody else, Yes. for me, questions for me, questions for you. Here's the first one. Does Jesus really reign as Lord in my life? Does Jesus really reign as Lord in my life? Am I under the Lordship of Jesus and am I willing to come under authority? And if Jesus Christ is not the Lord of my life, then who is or what is? Does Jesus Christ really reign as Lord in your life. It really is a heart check isn't it? Here's the second one. Am I open to the same truth I teach or believe or in my case preach? Do I believe one thing and live something else? Do I adhere in my mind to and on Sundays to the values of the Bible but on Monday to Wednesday, Saturday you'd never know it because I live by the values of the world? Am I open to the same truth I believe or I teach or preach? Am I teachable? Am I open to correction and to instruction from those who are more spiritual and more godly than I am? Or more mature? Am I open to the same truth I believe I teach and preach? Hmm? I'm not asking you to answer this question about anybody else. Just about you, just about me. You for you and me for me. Here's one. Have I come to terms with deception? Have I come to terms with the fact that I can be easily deceived and led astray? Do I know God's word enough? to be able to tell the difference. If I got up here and didn't treat, teach truth, would any of us be able to recognize it? And here's the other part. Not only have I come to terms with the fact that I can be deceived, have I come to the terms with the fact that I can be a deceiver, you can be a deceiver. We're not above that. We are fallen sinful people. And I want you to know at my very worst, there's an Adolf Hitler that lives in my sinful nature. Have I come to terms that I can be deceived? Have I come to terms with the fact that I can be a deceiver and lead people astray? And the last one is this. Is servanthood the model that I follow? Am I a servant? Do I have a servant attitude? Maybe I want to ans- ask it this way. To who am I not willing to be a servant? Where am I not willing to be a servant? And when Am I not willing to be a servant? Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And as we are standing in this room, as we are maybe standing at home or we're sitting still at least and focused, This is the moment where truth in my life becomes a reality because I'm not doing business with another man or woman. I'm not interacting with Pastor Kevin or he with me, no. We are standing in the presence of the one who searches heart and mind. And I pray today that you would search my heart and mind. And I pray that you would search the hearts and minds of every person in this room, every person that's watching online and every person that's listening to the archive in a couple of days, or a couple of weeks, or a couple of months, or a couple of years. Lord, how do I answer these questions? And what is my answer to each of these questions? Do you really reign as Lord of my life? Am I open? to the same truth I believe. Have I come to terms with deception, that I can be deceived and I have the potential to be a deceiver? And as servanthood, the model that I follow. In the quiet moment, Lord Jesus Christ, By the Holy Spirit, Jesus, the Son of God, search us and speak to us. We thank you and we praise you in Christ's name. Amen. A long time ago, I was at a conference. And I can't remember who the speaker is. Now, I think I know who person was, but I can't remember and I don't want to give the name because I may be wrong. And these four questions were asked of us. About 30 years ago, I wrote those questions in the back of my Bible. And every Bible that I have owned since, I've written those words, those questions, those four questions in the back of my Bible. because I ask them regularly of myself. We're just fallen, sinful people, folks. And we need to have a heart check on a regular basis to make sure that we can answer these questions properly and in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. Amen?